morning, church. My name is Zach Carpenter. It's my privilege this morning to read the word to you. We're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that we had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came in from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, um, for this church. Thank you for this body, first of all, God. Thank you that we can gather here this morning and worship you and bring you glory, God. I thank you for the freedom that we have in you, Lord, that there is nothing there are no rules or regulations god as a matter of fact while we were sinners you came to us lord and you saved us there's nothing that we can do to earn your favor god you have chosen us before the foundation of the world i thank you for that lord um i also pray that you would provide clarity on this matter lord to our hearts lord that you would help us to understand the genuine gospel lord that it would not be we would not add anything to it Lord, that we would not take anything from it. God, and I pray that it would be out of a place of conviction and understanding that we would be able to defend the gospel like Paul would even defend to Peter's face. Lord, um, I pray for clarity, Lord. So this morning, I pray as we listen, Lord, to your word, um, as we listen to the sermon, that you would speak to us through the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would open our eyes, our ears, God, to see the truth, to hear the truth, Lord. I pray that you would help us to know the truth, but even deeper to understand the truth, God, that we wouldn't just know it, but it would have an impact on our hearts. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. 
Good morning. Okay. I never quite know if the mic's on. Oh. I knew the music stand was a bad idea. So keep it, keep it classic. Um, before we, we dive in um, to that very rich passage and, and the passage that's, um, I don't know, maybe it doesn't hit, get, get a lot of people's kind of top five favorite passages. It, it makes mine. I, I love that passage. That God's used that passage uh, to change my life dramatically. And so uh, I'm excited to, to the opportunity to, to get the chance to, to come up here and speak about it. But before we do that, um, I want to do an experiment. Um, I get up here, you kind of, once you give me the mic, right? I <laughs> and so in the interest of research, uh, to satisfy my curiosity, I want to do an experiment. I want to see, um, I, I'm going to say some, some names of some characters, and I, I want to see from you guys, I, I, I want to say, name the movie, okay? And it's almost like that, that name that tomb game, where it's like, you can do it one note, two notes, three notes, right? I don't, I honestly genuinely don't know. You guys might not know it, period. It might be one, I, I don't know. But I'm going to start reading off the names of some characters, some minor ones first. Just shout it out, okay? You ready? We good? It's too weird? All right, we good? Okay. Uh, these, are, these are people. Viper. <laughs> Haley didn't listen to the instructions. Who, 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 who got, where did I get Top Gun? Right here, who else? Ten, okay. But I wasn't expecting it on one. I, I had my list, Jester, Merlin, Hollywood. If that didn't happen, we would go up to Goose, right? Top Gun. Um, for those who know, and, and I don't want to assume too much, uh, we do have some, some Gen Z folks and, and younger in, in the room. Top Gun was released in 1986, and it's awesome. I, I <laughs> my brother and I, probably watched that movie like 500 times uh i the the the, the language the it's where we were introduced to, to words like bogeys um we would go and then we would run around and say things like i feel the need the need right for speed okay here we got it um my baseball team 10 years later right 1996 uh my junior year of, ba of baseball we actually adopted Top Gun characters, it's dumb, the way kids are dumb, and, and you know, we, we did our thing, and um, we thought it was whimsical and fun until the, the player who adopted Goose got kicked off the team halfway through, because <laughs> Goose dies in the movie, and whatever. My point is, it was a very uh, influential movie, and, and not just for a bunch of kids uh, running around who, who watched it, but um, it actually led to, uh, I actually looked up the numbers, as I knew it was a big number, but it was 500%. It led to a, an increase of 500% in enlistments. Um, and then we'll let Tim tell us if that was a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> in the end, uh, having all these people inspired by a uh, movie uh, to, to go and enlist in the Air Force, but 500%. Um, and what is it about Right, like the movie, it, it wasn't this, this rational argument for here's the pros about enlisting and serving in the Air Force and being a fighter pilot. Like, it wasn't an intellectual argument at all. It was a movie. Uh, it was a Tom Cruise movie. Um, and it appealed to people's imaginations and it appealed to their sort of a sense of adventure in their heart and it, it inspired change, okay? Change in the fact that we see th th this massive increase in enlistments. And um, 
You're probably wondering why, why Top Gun, why I'm talking. This is church, right? Um, one of the things, and what my point is in, in saying this is, you hear it all the time in point, and you'll hear it uh, for as long as, as we have breath, the power of story, okay? Story changes us. Tr- story um, is, is what inspires us. It's, it's what moves us. It's what compels us. And Top Gun's a, a silly, I, I can say that as much as I love it, uh, it's a silly story. It's fiction, okay? And whatever impact it had, it, it's, you know, now 35 years later, uh, that's not hurt. <laughs> uh, it's not nearly as influential, okay? But as Christians, we, we, we have God's story, okay? And, and we, we have this, this beautiful story of, of the God's creation um, and, and of sin tragically entering into the world and God, out of love, calling a people to himself. And in the Old Testament, that, that was the, 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 the Israelis, the, the Jewish people, and, and the, the sort of, you know, the rebellion and, and God bringing them back and that kind of rise and fall, right? And then the whole story builds to the gospel, right? To, to Jesus hitting the scene and, and Jesus living that perfect life and Jesus dying on the cross. And through Jesus, God reconciles the church to him, right? And then that's the kind of that, that plot line. Um, and so when it comes to change, a lot of times we, we have frustration or we feel stuck and we don't know how to change because we don't know how to take this beautiful, amazing, timeless, powerful story of God's love in the gospel. And how does that apply? How does that operate in, in our day-to-day living uh, of just the, the ordinary getting up and, and going to school or going to work or being a neighbor or a parent or a friend? or uh, how, how do we navigate that space? How can we take the, the power of God's story and, and bring it here into our everyday lives? And that's more than anything what today is going to be about. We're going to unpack that. And you may be wondering how <laughs> we just saw does that because it's not the step-by-step sort of process. Um, but stay with me. And so we're going to pick up um, in God's story, or I'm sorry, uh, well, it is God's story, <laughs> but Paul's story in, in Galatians 2. And if you remember from last week, um, I was up here and, and we talked about Paul had planted this, this church in Galatia. Uh, it was near and dear to his heart. He, he brought the, the true gospel, not the gospel of man. Um, he, he brought the, the God's gospel of salvation by grace, okay? No works involved. You, you can't earn it. It is a gift. And he, he planted that church, and, and he left. And in that space of time when he left, these, these false teachers managed to come in, and they wanted to, to make it, yes, okay, this Jesus part, yes, Jesus had to die, yes, you're, you're forgiven in Jesus. But before you get to that point, you got to be circumcised. You have to follow Jewish traditions and, and norms. And they were presenting a gospel that's perform and then be forgiven okay and what paul's saying is like you got those things wrong okay you're forgiven first then from that place of forgiveness then you move forward then you obey god then you labor and serve and bless the people around you in the name of god and the 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 human heart is persistent in that we we want to to reverse those because we want it to be true we want to have a hand in it and paul says if you compromise on that that is no longer God's gospel. That is a gospel of man. And so he, he works through, uh, you know, trying to co- write to this church, trying to confront this church, trying to plead with this church to, to cling to, to, to the true gospel. Um, and then these, these false teachers come in, right, and Paul's confronting them, and, and he's saying that 
you know, there's pleasing man and there's pleasing God, right? And in pleasing man, you, you will shift and, and say things that's designed to, to get approval or to get acceptance or to uh, escape persecution, things like that. And Paul is, is anchored on the gospel, and he's carrying his story through. He starts telling a story of how he came to, you know, come to knowledge of this gospel. He's trying to establish why he needs to be listened to, why he's, he's this faithful carrier of the true gospel. And so as we, we went through that last week, the start of chapter 2, he's continuing his story, and he's talking about, um, he, he, he has Titus, and, and who's Titus? Titus is a, a Christian, but he's Greek. Okay, so he doesn't come from the Jewish, he wasn't circumcised, he doesn't adhere to uh, the, the Jewish customs and, and their laws. And so he comes and, and he's with, uh, he, he visits Peter um, with Titus, and they, they have this powwow, right? So this, this <laughs> kind of meeting uh, of some of the, the titans of, of the early faith. Um, and he's, uh, he's with, with, with James and Peter and John. Um, and so, right, Peter, and, and you see the word Cephas, for, for those who don't know, Cephas is, is another name for, for Peter, same guy. Um, and so these guys are, they all kind of come from that Jewish background, they knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, they were very well established. And so when Paul comes with Titus, they reach broad agreement, he didn't need to be circumcised. Okay, they, they reach broad agreement that, that salvation is, is a gift that there is no need to, to fuse Jewish customs and, and Jewish traditions with this gospel from God. You don't do that, right? And, and they all, they, they reached that place of agreement. And you see it uh, as you work through Paul telling his story. Um, they got the, the, the blessing. Paul and, and, and uh, Barnabas and um, Titus, they, they, they get the blessing. They get the hand of fellowship, the, this agreement that Paul has got this mission to, to carry this, this amazing news to the Gentiles. Peter has this unique calling, same message, but to the Jews. And, and they're united, same God, same mission, same church, just different kind of primary areas of focus. And they have that. Okay, and so the reason I'm, I'm going into so much detail with this is it's important to know when we reach this, this confrontation, why, All right? It's not just Paul kind of saying, you know, eh, not the best practice, or eh, you're not really modeling inclusion, or you're not, you know, why, why Paul even cares about where Peter eats. It's like, you're being a little too controlling here. Like, it's a core gospel issue because this, this confrontation comes because Peter, having once agreed, we don't have to uh, compel people to be circumcised. We don't have to compel people to be um, follow Jewish customs in order to receive God's grace, um, he slips away from that. He, he kind of slides away because, um, as it says, um, sorry, I'm on the wrong page. Uh, some people came um, from before James. So some people from, from Jerusalem came, and Peter kind of lost his backbone a little, okay? And, and he, instead of mixing it up with the Gentiles and the Jews in, in one unified church, um, the, the, the observant Jews, the, the kosher Jews, they believe that Gentiles are dirty. They cannot share meals together. They're, they're unclean. And so to, to be uh, in contact with the unclean makes you unclean, and therefore that's a violation before God. And so some of the kosher Jews, the, the ones who, who wanted to perform before receiving the, the gift of grace, they withdrew. And Peter, instead of correcting them, 
of correcting the error of doctrine, of correcting their, their misapplication, Peter goes with them. So yeah, I'm sorry, that I kind of I feel like I'm going fast, but I just, it's important context to know that the gospel itself was at stake. The, the fullness of it, the, the fact that God, the, the gospel's received by faith, but in grace, it's a gift. Um, and so it all comes together, um, and we have what, what's going to be the heart of, of, of my, my time up here, verses 11 to 14, where, where Paul confronts Peter publicly. Um, and I want you to just take a moment and, and think with me and reflect how difficult that must have been, <laughs> okay? We have to remember, Peter was one of the core disciples, okay? There was the 12, and then there was that inner circle of, of three. Peter's the one who, who had a, a lot of access to Jesus. He was the one who was told that you're going to be the rock upon which the church is, is going to be built. He's the one who was there at Pentecost, who, who was kind of the figure o- over all of it, the, the leader of all of this. And now Paul is the guy, where we talked last week, described as breathing murder on Christians. He, he was consumed with, with rallying them and persecuting them, seeing them executed a- at times. Different source material, right? Very different paths, right? And so for, for someone like Paul to come and to take on a guy like Peter, that's a big deal. That, that, that's not easy to do. And in fact, you can only, I would say, do that if you're extremely rooted in the fact that God is the only approval he needs. And he's risking alienation. He, he needed their approval. He needed that, that hand of fellowship. He needed their blessing. And he submitted to them. That's why he, he came up and, and what I was just talking about with Titus. He came to seek that because he needed Peter's covering as a leader to, to you know, build him up. And he went and, and, and he had to look Peter and, and take that on. That's courage. But that's not just Paul's a confrontational guy. It's the gospel was at stake and Paul was rooted in having the approval of God meant he could risk that with Peter. It's faithfulness, okay? And it's a applied way of Paul standing in the truth of the gospel. And so drawing on that, he comes and, and he looks at Peter and he's confronting him because of what Peter's doing. And he says uh, a very interesting thing, which we're going to honestly, you might not want to hear this, but we're going to spend the rest of my time up here taking apart. Um, And he says to Peter that your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. Conduct, truth, gospel. And what we're going to look at is, first of all, what does Paul mean by that? What does that mean? And the second thing is why does Paul, in this confrontation, of all the things he could say, why does Paul frame it that way to Peter? What's his his aim? What's he trying to get by framing it that way? So first, what does Paul mean by your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel? Um, At a very kind of first first glance, he's linking conduct or, or how you live, your actions, with the gospel. And I might be like, okay, what else is new? <laughs> yeah. But th- that's an easy thing to, to overlook. Um, it's easy, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, to kind of, the gospel can become familiar. Uh, it can feel like maybe you learned it in Sunday school or, or maybe, you know, this idea that, that Jesus died for my sins. Okay, cool, got it. 
Um, and, and you might believe that message. You, you might believe that, that story. You, you have an authentic faith. You, you come to church. But believing that doesn't necessarily jump over into to the conduct place. And you can say, okay, gospel, I'm going to go to heaven one day. I'm secure in that. Nothing can touch that. And you can celebrate that. Um, but then effectively, well, what's left? Well, I have to be a good person. I have to be a moral person. People of God act a certain way, talk a certain way. I just, I, I got to be that. But there's no link between the two. Do you see that? There's, okay, I'm going to go to heaven. And then there's, I'm going to go live a certain way and try really hard and, you know, learn some things and maybe watch other people. But it really is just, okay, I'm going to not be angry. Let me not be angry. I'm going to not lie. Let me not lie. It, it's just really founded on your sense of, of morality and, and your personal discipline and strength, okay? Um, and more often than not, you, you will end up flatlining or, or kind of hitting a, a stall out point. And what Paul's saying here is that your conduct, how you live, it's connected with the gospel, but truth of the gospel. So unpacking that, what's the gospel, right? And I've been saying it over and over and over up here, but right, Jesus died for your sins. Nice, easy, right? It's, a, it's a, a gift of God received by faith, by grace, right? I, in faith. Jesus died for your sins. There's a infinite ways of, of, of describing it. I'm not trying to lock in on the exact language, but this idea, it's news. It's historic. It happened, okay? It was a, a thing that happened, okay? And so how do we take this, this thing that happened and make it so it's relevant 2,000 years later? today. In, in each one of our lives, we each live very different lives, very different things, very different struggles. How do we take that, that, that historical fact, that news, and bring it in? We have gospel truths. And what do I mean by gospel truths? Gospel truths are things that are true, but they're only true because the gospel's true. They flow from the gospel. Um, so what, what do I, I mean by that? Um, adoption. Okay, the idea that, that we're adopted into God's family. Is that true? Yeah. In Christ, you're adopted into God's family. But why is that true? That's true because the gospel's true. If the gospel was not true, if that never happened, we're not adopted. Right? There's no basis to think that or say that. Um, redemption. Okay, another one. Uh, we receive forgiveness. Is that true? Yeah. But is it only true because the gospel itself is true? Yes, it flows from the gospel. New identity, new, new, we're, we're new creations, right? Is that true? Yeah, okay. Is it only true because the gospel's true? Yeah, okay. You see, right, I'm trying to establish this, this line of, of thinking, this line of logic, this line of connection. So we have gospel, we have gospel truths, and then we finally we get to that conduct piece. And so that, if, if, these truths flow from, from the gospel, and if they are true, then it should change how we live. We, we live in light of them. Um, so I gave the kind of this example with, with, with Paul being willing to confront Peter, because he doesn't have to fear Peter's rejection. He doesn't have to fear disapproval, because he knows God approves of him. Why does God approve of him? Because of the gospel. So the gospel truth is that he has God's unchanging approval, and from that place, he didn't have to fear man. Another example um, we, we, um, someone who, who maybe is, is, 
depressed, and there's a whole host of, of reasons for depression, but just uh, for an example, so, someone who is depressed because they feel unloved, unlovable, unworthy. What's, and so they're living and making choices in light of that, maybe some self-destructive choices or, or some isolating choices. Um, what's, what's the, the, how does the gospel connect to that, right? So, so the gospel, right, we, we have this gospel, the gospel truth is um, that, that you are so valuable and precious and, and important to God that, that Jesus came and willingly laid his life down for you. Okay, that is an immense amount of worth. That is divine worth, right? And if you can, can, can meditate on that, it changes how you see yourself, it changes your heart, and it changes the choices you make. It, it naturally flows from there. Um, if you're someone who maybe is, is, has no problem believing that you're lovable, um, maybe you're, you're a high achiever, maybe you uh, have an important job and you have a lot of people under you and, and you're admired and you have a lot of money um, and, and you totally have no struggle <laughs> with the idea that someone might love you or, or look up to you, um, but maybe you're, you're struggling with loneliness and, and isolation because you, you have problems connecting, right? There's a gospel truth that, that we're called to family, that, that like God saved not just me, but, but us, and that there's a community there, and that we're called to be part of that community. And so instead of living life that's tailored towards my, my individual choices and my individual way of living, you can see that, that the, the gospel, there's a truth there about community, and, and you have a heart change, that you have a, uh, the, the, the realness of that gospel affects your day to day. Does that make sense? Um, obviously, and I hope you can see, the, the applications of this are, uh, they're not limited to, to what I'm saying, right? And there's a lifetime of discovering those, those riches. Um, but I want to take a, a moment, um, and, and I'm not trying to, to belabor this, but this logic, this, this, this gospel, gospel truth, and gospel conduct that, that, that Paul's saying here to Peter, we see it all throughout Scripture. And, and so I wanted to walk through just a couple uh, of other verses where we can see this progression, to, to help us really uh, rest on it and understand it. And so um, the first one's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Um, you are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. Okay, so in here, like, wh wh where do we see gospel, right? This idea that, that we were bought for a price, right? That, that's a, an illusion. That, that's a, a statement that that's, uh, flows from the gospel, right? What's the truth? Because we're bought with a price, the truth that comes from that is we're not our own, okay? The only reason that's true is because the gospel's true, okay? But it's true. We are not our own. And we can live like we think we're our own, and we can make choices that we think we're on our own. But when we come and the gospel comes crashing into our lives and that gospel truth comes crashing into that, that cloud of confusion we all live with, it changes, so we, we glorify God with our body. That's this particular conduct, that's this particular call, that's this particular working out of it. Um, next one, uh, Ephesians 4, 32. Um, you guys, since maybe, uh, I'll give you a second to, to, to look at it. I, I want you to, as you read scripture on your own, I, I want you to, to start seeing the, these patterns. Um, but we see these, these gospel and gospel truth, right? So, um, God in Christ forgave you. <laughs> like that is a beautiful, because of the gospel, we're forgiven. Okay, and it sounds basic, but, but it's true and it's unchanging. And what flows from that? 
be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You try forgiving other people without first wrestling with the fact that you have much to be forgiven for because to God, um, it changes your whole orientation to forgiveness when you're anchored in the gospel, that gospel truth flowing through, okay? Um, two more. Ephesians 5, 25. Um, so where do you see the gospel, right? Christ gave himself up. That's, that's a, a statement of the gospel. It's, it's alluding to the gospel. What's the truth? Right, God, uh, Christ obviously loved the church, right? And so from that place, that's the motivation and that's the, where the conduct happens. Husbands love your wives, okay? It's not just husbands love your wives. It's connecting it to, that, to God's story, okay? The, that big, powerful, life-changing story can operate when it's connected to that conduct of husbands loving your wives. Um, and just one more. I promise I'm not going to stay here all day. Um, this last one, Second Corinthians, and this one's bounced around a little for, for clarity's sake, but uh, 8 and the very end of 7 and then 9. Um, right, so where, where do we see the gospel here? Right. He was poor, right? For your sake, he, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. Um, so that your by your poverty might be right. This one's kind of Paul classic convoluted writing a little bit, but um, what do you think this is talking about? What, what, what's the conduct here? Guys, I didn't put it up there on purpose. If you were going to go to Second Corinthians eight, what do you think it's talking about? This, yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, I know. That's why I, I'm trying to say it's not rhetorical. It'll do a little more. You guys are so good with Top Gun. Oh, here we go. Very good. And what do you think he's asking us to do because that's true? It could be anybody. I'm not trying to. Huh? What likewise? Yeah, he, he's asking, uh, right, he's using this language that though rich for your sake became poor, right, th this articulation of the gospel, right, the riches in heaven willingly gave that up to come to earth, to become poor, to serve. And because that's true, that's the foundation for asking us to be people of generosity. Okay, because if, if Jesus can do that and if we can accept this gift of the gospel, we can then turn, go and do that. It's the foundation. Now, imagine some of these verses without the gospel attached to it, okay? If it was just a series of commands, go be generous, okay? Maybe you listen. Maybe if you're scared enough of the preacher or scared enough of the people around you, or if there's enough prying eyes on you, or if you fear the repercussions, or maybe it just appears, appeals to your desire to be a good person. You can be generous, but it's not going to last. Like, it, it's kind of, it goes until you feel like it, and then it goes, and like, what if the command is just be a good husband? Okay. <laughs> like, like, how to try, right? But by connecting it to the gospel, it gives it power. It, it connects it to God's story. Um, being kind to one another, right? Anyone who's a parent, like, like, just be nice to your brother. Be nice to your, just, it doesn't work, <laughs> okay? Because it's just there, and then it, it floats away because it's not connected to anything. It's connected to just our sense of right and wrong which, as we all know, 
is very fickle, right? And it lacks, we can't save ourselves. But when you connect being kind to one another to the gospel, you're connecting it, you're plugging it into the power of God's story. And it brings power, it, it changes orientation, it changes our hearts and, and our minds, it appeals to, to who we are and to who God says we are. We live in light of a big God and a big story. It changes everything. So doing that and, and kind of walking through that, right, if number one was what does this, um, this gospel truth conduct piece, um, what does that mean? What does it look like? The second thing I wanted to talk about, why does Paul frame it this way when he confronts Peter? And the simple answer to that, and I hope you can see that as I was walking through these examples, he's after Peter's heart. Okay, he, and then, he, he does go in, in, in future sermons, there, there's a lot to unpack as he continues through chapter two and into chapter three about the, 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 the doctrines of, of justification by, by faith alone and, and there's a lot of good to be there. But he's talking to Peter, okay, P P Peter knows. Okay, he, he's not making an intellectual argument to Peter. He, he's not trying to teach Peter something he doesn't already know. Okay, this, this is not an, an intellectual appeal. He, he's saying true things. He, he, he's appealing to that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But it's not primarily trying to, to get at Peter's head. And we also see in Paul, by, by, by trying to, to bring up the, this idea that, that conduct is connected to, to gospel and truth, um, he's not just going at the conduct. He's not just saying, Peter, knock it off. Peter, you know this is bad. Or, uh, he's not appealing to just to even his sense of shame uh, of just like, you know what you're doing? Like, come on, man, we were counting on you. You're letting us all down. You know, th this is just, how could you? Like, you walked with Jesus. Like, you know, didn't you? Aren't you the guy who denied him? Are you going to deny him again? Like, that, that sense of shame. And if we're honest, right, you probably have done that. You've been the recipient of that by other people, and how does that feel, right? And then you've probably, if you're honest, done that because it's effective <laughs> okay but it's not lasting change because again if you appeal to someone's shame if you motivate through through shame or fear or just you know whatever it is that's just focused on the conduct and you don't do that that work of helping them believe truth and disbelieve lies if you only focus on the conduct you're going to get that temporary bump to the extent that they fear you or to the extent that they're strong or disciplined but it's going to again because you haven't uncovered the unbelief and what's the unbelief operating in Peter's heart and what does Paul know right Paul know that Peter's fearing these people he wants their approval or he fears their disapproval well you know we I don't know exactly I wasn't there okay but one of those things there was a, a fear he was not living in light of the truth of the gospel and so when Paul says that and, and brings that out he's drawing Peter's eyes not to his head, because he already knows the information, and not necessarily just to the conduct, right? He's drawing him to the lack of trust. What is Peter not trusting in? He's not trusting in the fact that salvation receive is received as a grace gift, that, that it is Jesus' work and only Jesus' work. He's lost sight of that gospel truth. He's lost sight of the fact that it has to only be Jesus. It can't be Jewish tradition. It can't be circumcision plus Jesus. And he's lost sight of that. And so he has, in his heart, valued the approval of man or, or you know, or, or being good with these kind of 
Jewish kosher folks, over God. And Paul is calling him back to the freedom that comes in the truth of living in light of that gospel. And if Peter was anchored on that truth, he would never even think of trying to separate himself from eating there, from, from separating and eating away from the, from the Gentiles. Because it would naturally flow from this conviction that it is God, it is Christ and Christ alone. It does not matter. I am not made unclean by eating with Gentiles. It would be absurd to him. And if people were trying to, to pull him off of that, he would be the one correcting him. But he lost sight of that truth. And so Paul, by calling him back, is winning his heart. And not through his logic, and not through how awesome Paul is, and not even through Paul's all story. He is pointing Peter to God, to the gospel, to the truth of the gospel. He is connecting Peter to God's story again. He's not teaching him, he's reminding him of what he already knows, okay? And that, for the vast majority of us, it's not that we don't know, it's that we've forgotten. It's not that we don't know, it's that there are lies that we have believed. Our enemy is, is, uh, he is an expert at getting us to believe lies. Our heart is constantly believing lies. And there is glorious truth in God's story, in the gospel, that we can be turned to. And so that is why. I hope you see that. And, and I hope it, it's not just, okay, cool, Paul, but that, that we can see and, and have that soak into our own lives as we go and, and live in community, okay? Um, this is the same, the same pattern for us, okay? It's, it's what's operating in our hearts and it's what's operating in the hearts of every single person here, right? And, and it's, we maybe don't say it enough, but, but what's the name of the church? It's Point. <laughs> It's not just because it's a cool word, I don't know, but it's because we get to point one another to life in Christ. And the more more comfortable and the more skilled and the more familiar we are with taking the gospel, drawing from that gospel truth, and then from that place of gospel truth, living that, that, that thing, as it's operating in our lives, we can better understand ourselves, but we can better equip to serve. We can better equip to point. We can be better equipped to, to not just be content with the right doctrine, and we can also be content and, and see the foolishness of only targeting behavior and trying to just change people's behavior. Okay, we can point each other to life in Christ. That's the beauty. That's the gift. Okay, and that's what's available to us. It's taking our story and connecting it to God's story, right? And if Top Gun can do that, <laughs> the infinite power of God's love and sacrifice and his story and his plan and who he is and how beautiful and magnificent it is. That is all available to us. It's a trust problem. It's a truth. It's a, it's a lies replacing truth problem. And But God in his grace and the spirit and his faithfulness, we can be brought back. It's, it's a beautiful thing. We are never too far gone. And that is something to celebrate. So I'm going to wrap up here. Um, we need to connect our story to God's story. Um, I know I'm saying that over and over, but the gospel changes everything, and we need to trust in it, and we need to be transformed by it. And my fear is that, you know, I kind of spent some time and invested some, some energy here in laying out a framework. Uh, I believe in that framework. I've seen fruit in that framework. I, I want us all to, to grow in that framework, but it's a framework, okay? It is only a framework. 
there's, there's danger in, in, in what I just said or this framework turning into a new version of law <laughs> where every conversation has to be forced into these sort of predetermined slots and it has to go through that. It's helpful. It's a tool. I, I want you to, to meditate on it and I want you to, to, to have that sink in because I think it's helpful. But right doctrine does not change you, okay? Seeing God changes you, okay? Right doctrine, it, it helps us see God rightly, so it's incredibly important, okay? Because the goal is to see God rightly. And I actually came across this, this illustration that, that I really liked. It's, it's like focusing on, on, on a sunset, right? Um, doctrine can, can, if you've got a camera and you're trying to take a picture of a sunset, the sunset's beautiful. That's, that's what you're after, okay? And doctrine can, can take an out-of-focus picture and make it focus so you can appreciate what it really is and you can have a better understanding and a better appreciation. But it's still about beholding the sunset, okay? And so we want all of this, we, we want to behold God because change comes from seeing God. Right. Father, thank you. Um, thank you that... that, that, that your story has power, God. Thank you that we're not just left to our own devices. We're, we're not just saved and then sort of patted on the head and told to, to make the best of it, God. Um, I, I thank you that, that your story, that, that, that the gospel, it, it's, it's, it's got power. It's, it's got energy. It, it's the ultimate source, uh, not just for our salvation, God, but, but for our change and our sustaining. And, and help us to see you rightly help us to, to see and, and, and absorb and love doctrine in order to, to see you rightly God and, and I pray that, that you can help us see ourselves rightly um, when we see you rightly when we see ourselves rightly God uh, we see and appreciate our need but we also see and, and appreciate and, and can exult in the fact that that we're loved and that we're secure God um, I just thank you for, for that beauty. I thank you that you're committed to our growth and change, um, that, that you're not disappointed um, or, or frustrated or, or um, withhold um, your love and forgiveness based on our performance, God. And I just pray that we live in light of that. Uh, it's one thing to say it and have it roll off the tongue. It's one thing to proclaim it, God. And it's one thing to know it. Uh, it's another thing to, to believe it and to trust and have it flow from our lives, God. Um, but I thank you. Uh, you you are faithful and, and you um, long to see us trust you um, with all our hearts, God. I pray that that can happen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.